right, church, you can be seated. It is good to see you this morning, and welcome to worship here at Central Baptist Church. It's good to have you here with us this morning. Welcome back, family. Those of you who are church family, we're glad that you're here and that you've chosen to join us this morning. And if you're new with us, we want to welcome you to our church family this morning. If you're a guest in our community or if you haven't been here in a while, we welcome you back. Um, Listen, if you are a guest or you have a prayer request or you want to you know, just make a decision throughout the service today and you want to indicate that, please take one of those cards in the seat backs in front of you and fill that out this morning and you can drop it in one of the boxes as you are leaving today. So we want to uh, just get a record of your visit and follow up with you and find out how we can serve you and, and love on you and pray for you as a, as a congregation. But welcome back, church family. We're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my favorite day of the week, of course, and we're here this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. And we have pray- we've already been singing, right? We've been singing and asking the Lord's presence to be here among us. And we want to ask the Lord to manifest his presence here today in the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts, to lead us and to guide us. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're also going to switch things up a little bit today, okay? And this morning, we're going to have our time of prayer right now. And so if you want to come and pray with us here at the front, I want you to come on now. And we're going to pray together as a congregation Um, And we're going to ask the Lord to move powerfully in our congregation this morning, but also um, in our community, in your personal life. If you've got a burden, if you've got some kind of a particular need, an individual that you've been praying for, I want to ask you to come and be here at the front. We're going to be praying for that, okay? Here's what I want to remind you of this morning. Um, This is a passage that God has been laying on my heart recently a lot. I preached on this actually in past past summer uh, on a particular Sunday, but just listen to these. I'm just going to read a couple verses from Psalm 63. Listen to this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This is what David says. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your, in your frame, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down in the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. And praise God for that. Let's ask the Lord. Let's seek him together as a congregation this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you invite us into a personal uh, relationship with you. What we do, God, is not ritual. It's not some sort of religious activity, Lord, that we somehow make ourselves feel good and feel better about ourselves, that we've somehow checked a box off spiritually in our lives. No. Lord, when we come to you, we understand that we come to the very creator of all things, the one who made us, the one who created the heavens and the earth. The one who sent Jesus, your son, into the world to save us, to rescue us. God, you've invited us to come to you, to seek you as David sought you. 
in a dry and a very weary place in his life. Many times in his life, he sought you. He didn't have the answers to all of life's questions, but he did have you, Lord. He didn't know who you were because you made yourself known to him. You revealed yourself to him. And in a personal way, you made yourself known to him and he sought you and you filled him. You anointed him as king. You enabled him to live out the life that you wanted him to lead. You helped him make wise decisions in his life. And here we are on this Sunday morning. We have your son, Jesus, and we have your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. You don't come and visit us. You dwell inside of us. And what we ask you this morning is for your anointing, that you would turn your face towards us this morning that you would look upon us, that you would shine your face upon us, bless us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We know that spirit, you live inside of most of us, many of us in this room, if we've turned our hearts to you, Jesus. But Lord, we want our lives to be fully and completely filled with your Holy Spirit. In our decision-making, in our attitude, in the way that we think, you, Holy Spirit, are what unites us as a church. You, Holy Spirit, are what points us to the very thing that gives us life, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the one, Holy Spirit, that helps us see and understand what your word that you wrote says and how it applies to our lives. So God, what we ask you for this morning is first and foremost that that you would deal with us on a level, Lord, that only you can deal with us on. And Lord, and when we think about our lives, we think about the sin, we think about the mistakes we've made this week, we confess those to you and repent of them right here, right now. We ask God for you to move mightily in our hearts right now. Yes, move mightily in our church and on our campus today in our ministries, but Lord, that begins in, in our hearts. It begins in our, the affection of our hearts being drawn to you. And so Lord, would you move and stir our hearts up Would you turn our eyes, turn our focus, turn our hearts towards you? Because God, that's what you desire and that's why we were created. We were created for you, by you and for you. So Lord, move in us. Move in the things that we do today. Lord, it wouldn't just be routine, but God, we would truly seek you and you would manifest your presence here today. We would confess sin, we would seek you in our marriages, we would seek you in our personal lives and the strongholds, the spiritual strongholds of our life that you're not pleased with, that we would see those things broken in us. That those in this room that are not followers of, your, of you yet, Lord Jesus, would be saved today. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but today. They would turn their faith and trust over to you, Jesus. Would you move mightily in our midst today? Would you move in the songs that we sing to you, that we would make a joyful noise, that you would move in the sermon and in the word that you, that you want to say to us today, and how you want us to respond to that message. Move mightily among us today. Lord, your word says that when we, we draw near to you, you draw near to us. We don't want this to be routine today. We want to see a mighty movement of you, Lord, in our hearts and in our church in our midst. So God, move with power this morning in our midst. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time to pray. Thank you for this time to sing. We ask that you'd be glorified in every way, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, and let's continue to sing, and let's worship the Lord together.
serve a God that loves us, doesn't we? Let's sing about his love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond our For 175 years, God has given life to this organization. He has called us to go. Thousands have answered that call, and Southern Baptists have joined together to send them. From every walk of life, from every part of our country, 
They boarded ships and planes, leaving behind all that was comfortable, predictable, safe and secure. All to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Into deserts and jungles, across mountains and seas, they planted their lives preaching Christ crucified. Many completed their service and came back to their homeland, but some did not. Some would perish on the field. They would starve, become ill, or be struck down on distant and dangerous roads to present the gospel. And some would be struck down for simply preaching the good news of Christ. In moments of extreme violence, many would choose to stay in danger to bring peace to those in the midst of chaos. Those are dark days for all of us, when we lose our brothers and sisters, when we feel the very real sting of death. On those days, we all ask, is it worth it? Is it worth the high price, the ultimate price? Etched on the hearts of missionaries throughout time are words like these. My life is of no value. My aim is to finish the race. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So we take up our cross to be living sacrifices. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. These lives were not lost. These lives were given. We may never know the full impact these missionaries have given on this side of eternity, but some stories we do know. Stories of God pouring out His Spirit on tribes and nations because missionaries modeled the one true sacrifice. Generations forever altered. Life is a gift. How will you Use the life you've been given. Well, good morning once again. A great question to ask all of us, and it sets up the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, so I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We are walking through Philippians together as a church family on Sunday mornings. And we're going to come to a very familiar passage to many of us, but a very pa important passage that flows out of 
Um, just that powerful video of what we saw, over 300, um, over 25,000 missionaries we have sent over the one, over 175 years now of our International Mission Board. Um, over 300 of them now have not returned. Uh, and so um, why is that? Why, why, why do we go? Why do we, why do we do those kinds of things? Why do we go around the world? Why, why do we share the good news of Jesus Christ in our schools, in our workplace, in our county here in Polk County, here in Livingston? That's a very good question. And what do we do with our lives, the life that God has given to us? And that is a very important question for us this morning. If you have been here on Sundays, you know that in the book of Philippians, Paul has been writing to this important church, this church in which he helped to plant, this important church in which he helped to lead uh, from a distance. And he wrote letters to them. He, he encouraged them along the way. We've seen here at the beginning of the book of Philippians that what God starts, he will always finish. In other words, when the gospel enters into a community, it enters into a culture. When the gospel enters into a county or a, a local community, when a gospel enters into a human life, it's going to fulfill what it intended to fulfill. God is doing work with it, and he's doing work in it. Paul, when he writes here to the Philippians, he writes to encourage them. He writes to... Um, tell them how much he's praying for them. He writes to them to praise them, which is interesting because the Apostle Paul here, as he's writing, he's writing from a position or a posture, not having the freedom to be able to do what he had been doing, and that is to go into synagogues and go into places to take the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. He's actually under house arrest, and so many believe he's in Rome. Uh, and he is there, and he is writing this letter back to the Philippian church. We saw uh, a week ago there in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes from a position, a posture of prison. So he's writing here from a posture of suffering, of struggle, of not having the freedom to do what God wanted him to do. And all the reason why he's in that position, in that posture, is simply because, not because he robbed a bank, not because he entered into someone's house and broke, broke into someone's home, not because he had done any of those things. No, he simply is suffering because... Because he's told people about Jesus Christ. What a threat. And here is Paul writing from house arrest. And yet, at the same time, what we learn when you open the book of Philippians and you begin to read it is that Philippians is an incredibly joyful book. Not only is Paul, the apostle Paul, joyful, but he is encouraging this church to be joyful. He's encouraging them as individuals to be joyful in every way. It's incredibly amazing to me. Why is he doing that? Because he was driven by something bigger in his own heart and in his own life. He was driven to make Jesus famous or to remind the Philippians that Jesus is everything. Jesus really is everything. This morning as we look at this text, I was thinking about, before we read this text, the thing I was thinking about in setting this up was an Olympic athlete. You ever seen an Olympic athlete and what they go through to put their body through in order to compete in that Olympic race? That one moment that an Olympic athlete gets to compete every four years, once every four years, some of them and most of them have one particular race they're going to compete in. Maybe it's a one swim, maybe it's one throw, or it's one race in which they're competing in. Maybe that 100-yard dash or that 400, or that throw, or whatever they're trying to do, they are going to compete for one moment. But in order to get to that moment, they are incredibly driven, and they are incredibly disciplined just to get to that moment. That's all they think about. 
which is incredibly crushing when we see in, when we watch the Olympics and we see one of those athletes pull up with a cramp when they're running around a track, because you realize that for four years they have, they have abused their body in a positive way to prepare themselves to get to that one point. They were driven, they were disciplined to get to that one point. And yet they get to that one point and because there's an injury or something happens, they can't compete at the, the level in which they want to compete. Here's the question that I would ask us this morning as we, before we even get into this text, and that's this. What drives your life? What is central to your life? What is it that, that d- drives you, that gets you up in the morning and drives you? That, that gets you up in the morning to do what God wants you to do? What is it that you are disciplined to do, right, in every way? Um, what is the central focus that dictates everything in your life? Because that's what happens. Whatever you are focused on, whatever drives you, whatever the affections of your heart are, that's going to drive and dictate how you use and spend and the, the, the resources God's given you, the money that's God given you, the time that God has given you here on earth, the small businesses that you and I, that, that, that you might lead or run or build, the, the families that you build, the, 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 the day and the, the time that God has given you here on earth. Every day is a gift from God, right? Every, everything that we have is a gift from God. We're called to steward it in every way. For Paul here in a posture of prison, a posture where he's at, the position that he's in here in prison, his focus is on Jesus in everything that he does. It's all about Jesus in every way. And so he has this incredible confidence. He has this incredible joy that his life, even though it's, it's suffering, even though he finds himself in prison, he finds incredible confidence and joy knowing that his, he is in the hands of his father. He's in the hands of God. And what an incredible posture to be in. What an incredible perspective to have. In fact, this is what he says. I'm going to read our text this morning. I'm going to back up to verse 18. And verse 18 says this. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Now watch this. The second half of verse 18 says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may, be, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What an incredible passage. What an incredible word that Paul gives here to the Philippians. Listen, Jesus is everything. He is everything in life, and he is everything in death. He is everything. He is what should and ought to drive our lives. He is everything in life. He is everything in, in death. And, and it, the question that we have to ask ourselves as we think about this important passage of Scripture this morning is what does life look like when Jesus is your everything? What does it look like when you're seeking and pursuing to make Jesus famous in your life? 
transcends generations. It transcends ages. It transcends color in this room, culture in this room. When Jesus is your everything and, and he is everything in life and death, when you're trying to make him famous, what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looked like for Paul. And for, for Paul, when he's writing this letter and we see these things, he, first and foremost, for Paul, he had the courage to honor Christ in every situation. Write that down. He had the courage to honor Christ in every situation he found himself in. That is his mindset. That is where he is. Look at verse 19 with me this morning. The posture, of course, in the heart where Paul is in verse 18 is joy. He says, I'm rejoicing. I'm in prison, but that's okay. In verse 18, I will rejoice. And he repeats it again at the beginning, at the end of verse 18. Yes, I will rejoice. And then he's going to get to the answer. He's going to get to the reason why he's going to rejoice in verse 19. He's going to have the courage to honor Christ in every situation. Paul had joy and he had confidence that he would be delivered. Do you notice that in verse 19? At the beginning of verse 19, what does it say? For I know. And then at the end of verse 19, it says, for my deliverance. His mindset is understanding that he's going to be delivered and he knows this. And how does he know this? How does he have this incredible, this, this incredible conviction about his own life? Because what you see in verse 19 is not a laundry list of despair and anxiety and worry. You don't see a laundry list of even though he's in the midst of suffering, he's wanting to project on paper, he's wanting to project in a letter to the Philippians how bad things are. He's not looking for a pity party. Paul here is not looking for, 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 for empathy, so to speak. No, no, his life is so centrally focused on Jesus that he has incredible joy and he has incredible confidence. Why? Well, he has incredible joy and confidence because look at verse 19 and he explains it to them. He, God says this to us. Look at verse 19 again. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I will, everything will turn out for my deliverance. Two reasons, right? The Philippians were praying for him. He understood that even though he's stuck in this prison, he, he's stuck not being able to go out of his house, not being able to do what he needs to do. And the Praetorian Guard of the Roman Empire are there and they know about him and they are there and they're mistreating him, so to speak. He knows that the Philippian church, miles away, hours away, days away, is praying fervently and undergirding Paul in his suffering. And so he has this incredible mindset of, of understanding that he's going to have this deliverance in verse 19. But you see, when we pray, just as the Philippian church prays, when we pray, then the Spirit of God moves in. Because physically, I can't do something for someone that might be suffering on the other side of town necessarily. I, I can't be there on the, on the other side of the world for someone who might be suffering or struggling, so I'm praying for a distance for them. But you know who is doing that kind of work? It's the Spirit of God. You see night, verse 19? He says, I know that, Philippians, you're praying for me, and the Spirit of God is working in me. You see, the Spirit of God goes with us. He is indwelling us as followers of Jesus Christ. And when, pray, when we pray, we move the Spirit of God to do what he always does, and that is encourages, makes a way, busts open prison doors, and does all of these things, right? Because that's what God does. He does this work. In those moments that Paul understood this, that in those moments of struggle, in those moments of difficulty, look at verse 20. He understood that when his faith was tested the most, 
he would have and could have this expectation of hope. Look at verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, famous, glorified in every way, whether by life or by death. Life or death, he's going to glorify God. In the midst of all of this in verse 20, instead of this shame, and he didn't want that shame. He wanted to have that hope. He wanted to have that courage. He wanted to be able to still openly and boldly continue to tell people about Jesus Christ. What an incredible, incredible confidence that Paul had. He, he, he had encouraged, he, he had the courage to honor Christ even in, this midst, in the midst of this particular situation, life or death. There was a man years ago, in fact, I haven't even mentioned his name in years. It's been 25 plus years. His name is Steve Agee, Steve Agee. He has no idea I'm talking about him because I haven't spoken to him in over 20 years. But he was a teammate of mine at James Madison University when I was in college. I played football there. And I'll never forget him because he was a fifth-year senior. And I was a freshman coming in. He'd been playing at that, at that school for five years. He was our starting fullback. Steve was one of those guys that everybody loved. Everybody loved him. He had a, got along with everybody, joked around with everybody. But the thing about it was our locker room back then was not like the locker rooms today. When you see locker rooms of college football teams today, they are palatial. But back then, you know, I was a freshman, all of us as freshmen, we didn't even have a locker in our main locker room during the week. We had to go over to the visitor locker room during the week and we would house our stuff over there. And then on game day, on Friday afternoons, we would bring all of our gear in bags and we would bring them over and park them in these like stalls with one peg on the wall. We'd hang it on the wall and it would be there, there in that one little cubby area of the main locker room. And then we were with the rest of the team. I'll never forget this one particular Friday and it was in the middle of the season and it was uh, earlier in the season. And Steve had, I didn't know Steve very well, but, but Steve made it a point to do something that has profoundly changed or kind of changed my perspective, even since that day. Came over that particular Friday afternoon with our big bags and we're gonna set them all up. But those of us who weren't playing, we weren't dressing out for the games, we were just gonna be on the sidelines as freshmen and we were not ready to play yet. As we walked over and we put our bags up on these, these pegs, there at the bottom of every peg was a Bible. And the Bible was just laid out all the way around this one little cubby hole of a room for all of the freshmen, over 30 of us that were freshmen. And inside the Bible was a note that was written by Steve where he simply said in the note, I just want you to know that I'm a Christian and this book changed my life and it can change yours too. And if you want to talk about Jesus Christ and how to have a relationship with him, come see me. And here was Steve, who was a fifth-year senior, who was a guy that didn't know us from Adam. Us young guys, 17, 18 years old, coming out of high school. Here was a guy who was a starter on the football team, had a profound impact upon my life. He was a captain at the, at the time. I only had one year with him, but he made an incredible impact on my life, so much so that I was able to get to know him for that one year he graduates. And then from a distance, we became good friends for the next few years that I was there in college. A man who had the courage to honor Christ in every situation. Whether he lived or died here in the text, Paul, when he thinks about his life, he wants to honor Christ. Because in the end, he knows that his life is going to be vindicated. 
Whether he ends, his sees his life ending, or he continues here on earth doing what he's doing, he's going to glorify God knowing that his life is going to be simply vindicated at some point. Encouraged to follow Christ in our life, listen, is sometimes not easy. The, the courage to follow Jesus in our everyday life is not easy at times in our community with people that have known us all their lives. Or you go to school and you're in a sea of lostness. Students you go to, children, you go to elementary school and students, teenagers, you go to your schools at the junior high and high school and you, you walk into these schools and, and, and you're in a sea of lostness. All kinds of stuff around you. Brokenness all around you. And it's not easy sometimes to live for Jesus. It's sometimes not easy to live for Jesus in front of your employees, those of you who are small business owners, or people that have known you, or your family. We need prayer by others around us. We need people around us lifting us up. I mean, think about the people to your left or to your right, the people behind you, in front of you, people who are followers of Jesus Christ who may be around you. What God gives us is the privilege to pray for each other, to build each other up. Listen, we're really good at praying for health needs, aren't we? If somebody has a health need, man, we're praying, and that's a good thing. But do we pray for courage for each other to live out the Christian life? Do, do we pray for God to enable us to live out the Christian life and to be faithful, to be obedient to the, the words that God has given us that particular morning or that particular day? Do we, do we cheer each other on in the faith? Because that's what we need. We need each other because Satan is coming at us day in and day out, attacking us day in and day out, subtly in very small, still voices at times in our lives, creating doubt, creating discouragement, creating dis, uh, to a place of depression and anxiety and worry and all of these things that we think are such big deals when in fact they're really not. As we're going to learn in the book of Philippians, we're called to just give them over to the Lord and walk away because the peace of Christ rules our hearts and our minds. We need to be praying for each other and we need to pray that the Spirit of God would, would move and undergird us and our, with our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 6 reminds us of this incredible principle and passage. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, this is what it says in Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That is what happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ. The spirit of God, big S, of the son of Jesus Christ comes in. The son, Jesus Christ, comes into your life and gives you this incredible personal relationship with the Father in heaven. But we need to pray for each other in order to undergird one another that the Spirit of God would speak loudly and boisterously in our lives because we have a thousand different voices coming into our lives. We need to train our minds and our hearts to listen to the Spirit of God speaking to us in our lives. So you ought to be praying for each other. You ought to be praying for individuals and situations that they find, you find themselves in. Are they following Jesus Christ? Are you cheering them on in your prayer closet? Are you praying that God would convict them of certain things and encourage them in certain ways? Honor Christ with your life. Pray for the Spirit to give life to others. That's what Paul is praying for here, having the courage to honor Christ in every situation. We ought to never stop praying for people that are suffering around the world. We ought to never stop praying for people that are suffering across town. And I'm not talking physical suffering necessarily. We ought to be praying for people who are suffering sp physically. But I'm also talking about spiritually. I'm also talking about ways in which Satan is attacking our lives every day and in, in our lives on a regular basis. 
we ought to do that. That's how we make Jesus famous. That, that's how we, 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 we make him important in our life, when he is everything. I'll tell you what else Paul says here in this text and what's so important to us to understand. Paul said he had an eagerness and a willingness to serve Christ and work for him. I mean, this is where he goes next. He begins to talk about this here in these verses. Verse 21 begins this important passage for us to understand and to get. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul explained what living and dying meant to him. For many of us, living and dying, we we live every day, but we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to leave this earth. But Paul had this incredible, incredibly divine or eternal perspective about his life. This is what he says here. He says if he dies, guess what happens? He actually gains. How do you gain when you die as a follower of Jesus Christ? You're in the presence of Jesus. I mean, you're, you're, you're no longer struggling with the physical ailments, yes. You're no longer struggling with the loneliness of losing a spouse that you were married to 50, 60 years, and you step from this life into eternity. You're now in that presence of Christ, and you no longer think about that anymore. You no longer have to deal with that anymore. You no longer have to struggle with sin anymore. You no longer ha- uh, have to have faith in something you cannot physically and tangibly see. Faith moves to what? Sight. And so for Paul, he understood that the best place he wanted to be, the place he longed to be the most, was there with Jesus. He no longer struggled. He had a desire to be there. In fact, he says in verse 23, it's actually better. It's not better, it's far better. You see that? And he says, if if I am to live in the flesh then that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And then he goes on to talk about this idea of of living for Jesus, if you will. So if he died, he gained, but watch this, if he lives, Christ. I love this. Because here in the original language, there is no verb here. I mean, look at verse 21 again. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Actually, there is no is there. It's just to live Christ, to die is gain. Verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. But for Jesus, or for Paul, to live Christ. We add this word is, we add this word means. It means to honor. To live means Jesus. To live, he lived for Jesus. Jesus was his everything. It was his means to to honor Christ. His life was a means to honor Christ. Everything centered in Paul's life around Jesus Christ. And it centered around this why question for Paul. Why am I here? I mean, why am I slogging through this? Why am I in prison? Yes. Why am I, not, not why am I suffering, but, but, but why am I still here? I mean, why am I going from place to place? I want to be with Jesus Christ. And it all revolved around this question, the answer to this question, which he answers it very, very right there in verse 23. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. That's far better. He understood that he didn't have a choice to whether he was going to live or die. His, his days were numbered, yes, but God's the one who held the number. He had no control as to whether he was going to wake up in the morning. 
or whether that was going to be his last day on earth, that last breakfast, that last lunch, that last dinner. He didn't know if he was going to see friends for the last time or family for the last time. He understood that he had no control over that particular thing, but he did know the answer as to why. Well, here is what he answers, and this is what he says, and it's very important for us to get that life is about being eager to work for Jesus. When Jesus is my everything, when Jesus is the one who is everything in life and in death, then, then, then I'm not to get busy doing things for Jesus. I'm to get busy trying to pursue fruitful labor in my life things that matter, things that are eternal, things that I invest in, my life that I'm investing in, my time that I'm investing in, my resources, my money, my family, all of it is an investment in eternal things. Paul understood this about his own life. And so he invests in the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians. He's investing in the city called Corinth. And he's going to write to them two letters. He, he's investing in the churches of Galatia. He, he, he's investing here in the church in Philippi. He is investing in these people. He wants his life to be poured out into the lives of these people. Why? Because of verse 24, it's necessary. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What was God's purpose for Paul on this earth? It was to invest in the people around him, to pour out his life to the people around him. I think about, remember years ago, and we've seen, we've gone through storms and things like this in our community as well in the past. I remember years ago in 2008, I believe it was, when Hurricane Ike came through, I was living in Atascacita at the time, and Christina and the boys had left to, to go to Austin. I think they left to go there. And so I stayed behind with the house and with our church was about a half a mile away. And, but what, what, was, what was so remarkable, and it's always the case, you know, when we, we don't really get to know our neighbors. You notice that? Well, we don't say hi to our neighbors very often. We're in a generation now, especially in my generation and younger. We don't really get to know our neighbors that often. We just come and go. We go to work. We go home because we're so busy, 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 busy. But that particular day, I remember everyone was outside of their house that had stayed behind. You became best friends quickly. And all of the busyness of our life, our companies, our businesses, our schedules, all of these things, all of a sudden came to a screeching halt. And everybody was focused on what? This impending storm that was coming. And it was out there in the Gulf and it was coming. It was coming directly towards kind of at that time, it was coming right up the ship channel, right up through there. That's where it was going to kind of come. It shifted a little bit last minute. But everybody was talking about that. I never forget my neighbor next door to me. He's boarding up his windows on the south side because, you know, we're going to get that eastern wall on the south side. The storm shifts, of course, and we got the western wall. So he didn't board up the back side of his house. But the fact of the matter is he was so prepared. He was so involved in this, this project that he was doing. He was so eager in that space. The same kind of readiness, listen, church, in our lives. And I think about that. That same kind of willingness to work ought to be a part of our everyday life as followers of Jesus. Everything that Paul did, everything that he did was for Jesus. Everything we do should be and ought to be for Jesus Christ. Tells us in Romans chapter, and Paul says it's it's the same kind of concept about life and death. In Romans chapter 14, this is what it says beginning in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. Verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might 
be Lord both of the dead and of the living. There is a change in which I give my life to Jesus Christ. It now belongs to Jesus Christ, right? When your perspective changes to that, it changes how you live your life. You go from moving away from being very self-centered and uh, uh, self-focused to giving away yourself. You you focus on becoming more and more humble, rather being prideful with your life. You you begin to move into a, a different place in your mindset. Your perspective begins to change. We all have that why question that Paul had here in the text. Why has God given you a family? Why has God given you money? Why has God given you years here on earth? Why has God saved you from that car accident? Why did God take this away? Why did God give you this? Why did he provide this for you? Why did he take away your spouse and leave you here on earth? Why do you, are you still here? Why do you have this friendship? Why don't you have friendships? Why? You, we have all of these why questions. Here's the answer. We don't focus on the, the peripheral. God has given you breath in your lungs. He's given you resources. He's given you time. He's given you years on earth to make him famous, to to, to make him everything, that he would be everything in life, that he would be everything in death. That's the perspective that we ought to have. And so I run my businesses, I go to school, I, I, I pursue the things God's put in front of me, whether it's the unknown or whether it's the known, what God has put in front of me, my classes in school, those of you who are students, my, my career, my job, my vacations, my relationships, all of these things, and I put them before the Lord and because they are all his. And I get busy living for him and I make Jesus everything in my life. I think of my life oftentimes as a bucket and what God's doing in my life is he's pouring into my life blessing. He's pouring into my life life. He's pouring into my life things, stuff, time. He's pouring these things into me. I didn't ask for it. I didn't earn those things. God made me who I am. He's given me the opportunities he's given me. He's given me the life he's given me. He's pouring into my life all these things. And what he's wanting me to do is to take those things and to pour them out into the lives of others. And, 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 and that way, I begin to glorify God in every way. I honor him in every way. It's a perspective shift that I ought to go through in my life, that my life ought to be fruitful, that I ought to take my time and the talents God's given me, the treasure God's given me, and invest in the things that he wants me to invest in, in, in eternal things, things that will not return void. He fills me with this incredible grace, blessings, and mercy in order to pour them out into the lives of others. Listen, God is not interested in making you happy, but he is interested in making you holy. He's not interested in giving you this happy life that you just have all the stuff, you have all the relationships, you have all the grandkids, you have all the great grandkids, you have all of the, you have the house and the lake, you, have, you, you don't have anything. He's not interested in making you happy. Don't pursue that in your life, but he is interested in making you holy. Just ask the Apostle Paul, who's in a space where he does not have the freedom to go anywhere, in a space where he is suffering, where he is struggling. God doesn't come to you and say, you're not going to get hurt for following him. Joy comes and only comes when Jesus is your life.
despite what you go through and what you experience in your life, Paul had an eagerness to work for Christ. But notice how he rounds this out, this text out. Verse 25, he says, convinced of this. You see, Paul had it in his mind, the goal of boasting in Jesus in all things. Verse 25 and 26, he says, convinced of this, everything he just said, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul was convinced that God kept him there and kept him alive that to invest in the people, the Philippians and, the other, and others that he was investing in. God wasn't done with Paul. He was there to stay and to work. For what purpose? For what objective? He answers that in verse 25. That the Philippians would boast. You see it there, church? That the Philippians would boast, not in themselves, not in their accolades, not patting themselves on the back for the things that they had accomplished and built up in this world. That they would boast in who? We just sung the song, didn't we? That I would boast in what? Jesus Christ. That is the goal and the aim of life. And Paul understood that. He found joy in the gospel's advancement in the communities that God had placed him in so that he would watch that little girl that was filled by a demon all of a sudden with her hands raised, tears flowing down her face, worshiping Jesus for the very first time, delivered. Seeing a rough Philippian jailer, dirty, angry, beating prisoners left and right, all of a sudden raising his hands, knowing that all of those sins that he had committed have been, he has been redeemed from. You see, the Philippians and boasting in Jesus Christ and what was going on internally in their lives and expressing in their lives, as they made Jesus famous in their lives, Paul found incredible joy. That was his purpose. That was his goal and why God had left him here on earth. That word boast or glory in Jesus, take pride in, is literally what it's saying to find joy in something or someone. He knew that their progress of joy, their progress of faith, would lead to boasting in Jesus Christ alone. You see, when Jesus becomes your everything, there's going to be progress. There's going to be joy and you're going to begin to boast in the very things that God has explained and shared with you, understanding that God is holy and perfect in every way. And I begin to open my Bible, and I boast in the fact that, God, you are holy. God, you are just. There is no sin in you, and sin cannot be in your presence. We do not deserve to be in your presence. I begin to boast in that. Then I begin to boast in the fact and the realization that I am lost and I am a sinner and I cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And I boast in the reality of that. I understand I cannot be. I don't casually walk throughout life thinking to myself that God somehow looks the other way when I, when I sin. No, I can't be in the presence of a holy God. But then I begin to boast in the redemption of Jesus Christ, how God sent his son to redeem me. And he died the death that I deserve on the cross. He went to the cross for my behalf because God loved me. I boast in that. I raise my hands. I raise my heart. I raise my voice to a God who is holy and perfect and just. And understanding that when we come into a room like this, when you're alone by yourself with your Bible and with God alone, you can talk to the very creator of the universe. Why? Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You boast in that. 
and you boast in the reality that you have earned nothing. You have deserved everything negative that God has given to you in the sense of his, of his wrath upon your life because of sin. But thanks be to God, because he is a merciful and he is a gracious God. And he steps into our life. And I begin to boast in that. I begin to boast in that. Now think about the enemy in our lives. The thing about the enemy, the spiritual enemy in our life, is he does not need passports to travel around the world. He does not need a key to your house. He doesn't respect the locks on your doors. He, he doesn't respect your boundaries. No, he comes at you. He comes at you. An Olympian, when an Olympian goes through an Olympic sport, he's forever bound by that particular Olympic year. For the Christian, you are forever bound. Listen to me. You're forever bound by the cross of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if the enemy doesn't need a passport. It doesn't matter if the enemy does not respect locks on your front door. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that has changed you. And it is the cross of Jesus Christ that gives you the ability to understand that you no longer belong to yourself, but you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, what an incredible passage for us. Listen to this verse. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. That's the perspective that Paul had. That is the perspective that God gives us. Is Jesus your everything? Is he your everything? Have the courage to honor Christ in every situation. Work for him. Boast in him. Live for him. When you do, God will be honored and glorified in your life and he will do something miraculous and supernatural in you and he will continue to do this work in you and he will do this work through you in the lives of others, I promise you. I promise you. Is Jesus your everything? Just as it was for Paul, just as he encouraged the church in Philippi to be. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. We're going to have a time of response. Is Jesus your everything? That's a good question. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, listen, I just want to encourage you to understand that God is at work in your life. He loves you so desperately. Where you are seated this morning, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. I just want you to spend a few moments there seated, just talking to the Lord and asking him that question, Lord, are you my everything in every way? I want you to evaluate your attitudes about life, your thoughts, your words, your actions, your decisions, how you manage the things God's given you. Is he your everything? Take some time and boast in Jesus Christ. Thank him for who he is. Thank you for what he's done for you. Thank you for the life that God has given you here on earth. It is such a gift. 90 years old in the room, God's given you incredible life and he's not done with you. 10 years old in the room, five years old in the room, God is not done with you. He has given you life. Live it for him. He's given you an abundant life, promised it through Jesus. 
and he's given you the promise of an eternal life. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, I wanna just invite you to give your life to him. You've heard the good news of Jesus in this service this morning through song and through his word. God is waiting for you to respond to him. He can't make you love him, but he offers an opportunity for you to love him. Why? Because he has loved you first and he's willing to forgive you of all of your sins. He's willing to, to, to by grace and mercy, change you, transform your life. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna stand and sing a song together and we're gonna respond to his word. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for, Lord, that Jesus, you are our everything in every way, both in life and death. We thank you, Lord, for that important question. And we just pray that you, Jesus, would continue to manifest yourself here in our hearts and in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community. Use us to be light in a dark world. We love you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Sing. You have the courage to come. I'll be here at the front.
shine soon these are like snow the sun forbid to shine but God you call me here below will be forever mine and you to that. You can be seated, and I just have a couple quick announcements for us. We're going to give our tithes and offerings here in a moment as we leave here today, but uh, let me just remind us that in a few weeks, we have our fall festival coming up on October the 29th. That's going to be on a Sunday uh, evening or afternoon, four to six that afternoon. So we need help in a lot of different ways and areas for you to serve. Um, We're going to be setting up Breaking Down, of course, but we also need, you can sign up in the lobby. Somebody will contact you to find out where you can serve, Um, volunteer different places. You can, um, uh, we also need candy for those, that particular event. It's going to be a big outreach event in our community. And so we want to provide candy for the kind of games and things that we're going to have prepared for that, that day. And we want you to pray. Start praying now that God would enable us to, as a church, reach our community, reach families share the good news of Jesus Christ, love on people in our community, and uh, be that light in a dark world. So we want to be praying for that, all of that coming up, okay? Um, before we get to offering and tithing, listen, I'm not going to bring them up again today, but I just want you to pray for my our kids, Mason and Macy. Um, you saw Mason on stage today. They're on, in, on guitar. Um, we put them on a plane this afternoon for South Asia, and that they'll be serving there for a couple years. So be praying for them and lifting them up. Um, you're putting them on that plane. So be praying for them. Um, and they've answered that call to go, and we're going to be, uh, uh, we're excited for them, and we're excited about what God's going to do with them there. Um, and uh, they'll be in some, uh, some good places, some challenging places at the same time. And that's all I'll go into when it comes to that. But just be praying for them, uh, undergirding them with prayer, as we talked about this morning. Um, pray for mom and dad, of course, this afternoon, too. So, um, but we're excited for them. Um, we're so excited because God has them exactly where he wants them to be. They're in the safest place that they can be, much more safer than where they are here here this morning, and they're going exactly where God wants them to be, and he is with them, and uh, he no longer, he, no, he doesn't need a passport either, so um, we're excited about that. Um, pray for them. All right, this morning, before we close today, we want to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. Um, we're going to pray over that in a moment, but um, in the boxes as you leave here today, you can drop those tithes and offerings off. Um, you can also give, uh, put those guest cards in there, uh, prayer request cards, put those in there. They'll get back to our office and we'll follow up on them. We'll pray for you. We'd love to, uh, to get to know you a little bit as well um, throughout the week, okay? That said, let's stand. Let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll be dismissed today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for um, uh, speaking to us today through music. Um, through the prayer time, um, through the sermon, through just the encouragement of each other in the hallways and words that are spoken. Thank you for the classes this morning that met at 8.15, the classes that will meet at 11. We're grateful, Father, for your word that continues to guide and shepherd our lives. Lord, fill us with your word, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and use us to point people to Jesus Christ this coming week. 
We love you, Lord. Thank you for the ways in which you've given to us everything that we have and everything that we own. And we give to you now our tithes and our offerings, and we pray that you'd multiply them, use them to continue to facilitate the work you're doing here in our church and in our community, but also, Lord, around the world and what you're doing, God, through us um, to reach the nations just through our praying and through our giving. So we love you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness in our life. We would be faithful to you um, to give now. We give these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great morning.